Today's podcast, we got Sean Cogan on. Sean's been in the industry a long time. He's currently with Harkin, working on such projects as the Clutch, the Ninja Foot Ascender, those types of fun things that everybody's seeing. And uh, it's great to have you on today, Sean. Oh, thanks for having me, Mark. Um, yeah, I don't. This is this is this will be fun. <laughs> this will be fun. So let's start with. <laughs> How you got into the industry? What made you decide to go into ropes and rigging and rope access? You know, I came to it by way of uh, of pursuing a lot of different rock climbing and mountain climbing endeavors. Um, just doing some millworks, uh, you know, woodworking, furniture, cabinets, things of that nature. And basically spending all of my free time and energy to go on climbing trips. Um, and somewhere along the way, ended up sharing a campsite with somebody who was a rope access technician passing through between jobs. Um, we got to talking about it and it seemed like a really, a really interesting combination of trade skills, uh, with the rope work side of, of things as well. Um, combining a few of my interests. So from there on, I got trained and, um, was looking around almost right away. Now, what year was that? Like, how long ago was this? Uh, 2011 is when I first got into it. Um, so I guess I went and did my Sprat and I Rata uh, January 2012. So in reality, I mean, you've made quite a splash for seven years in the industry. You've done uh, quite well in that aspect. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's, um, <clears throat> just kind of take it one day at a time. You know, there's a lot of opportunities out there and, um, you know, luckily, uh, obviously our relationship is one of them, but, um, I've gotten to know a lot of people in the industry and, um, you know, kind of had a creative approach as to how a lot of us can work together in different capacities. And I think, uh, for what it's worth, um, a lot of people have been able to to come up in the industry and, you know, a relatively short period of time by really uh, looking out for each other on the way. Oh, absolutely. I could agree with that. Now, do you think that your background in climbing helped you with rope access? Did it hinder you with rope access? What are your thoughts on that? You know, a little of both. Um, I think I, came from the world of rock climbing with a little bit of cockiness thinking that I, I, you know, knew something about something. And, um, obviously the world of rope access and, and rigging for safety and for rescue is very different, especially in an industrial setting. And, um, so it was a bit of a hindrance as far as, uh, what I thought my confidence level should be going into working at height professionally versus, um, you know, the more of the physicality and um, adventure side of, of what I was doing um, in my climbing hobbies. But um, <clears throat> but at the same time, I think it did benefit in, in some ways. Many of the many of the different techniques are are similar, um, different gear sets sometimes. But I think from a from a point of understanding mechanical interfaces on rope and how to use them and different um, different options of gear sets. I definitely came from um, 
you know, coming from the rock climbing side, you know, it's definitely gear heavy in my interests. So I think in that regard, it, it was a benefit. I was, let's just put it this way. I was, I was far more interested in the gear side of the industry than actually going out and performing some of the jobs that I was doing on rope at the time. (laughs) No, fair enough. Um, now you ended up with elevated safety. Was that right from the start or did you start somewhere prior to elevated? You know, honestly, there's, I, I did a couple of jobs here and there, just getting my feet wet with some things. Um, but elevated safety really came at the beginning of things. Um, there was a, a, a while ago, the original owner of elevated safety, Colin Moon had, uh, was hosting a website um rope access nation for any of you out there that would remember that um so he and i started uh talking early on you know just corresponding via uh messaging at the time and i was pursuing a um a lead with with harkin um and it, it actually overlapped to where on one of my final interviews up at harkin um I was actually brought down to elevated safety to demonstrate the Harkin industrial equipment to the guys at elevated safety. So, uh, pads crossed there and, and really, you know, within about a couple of weeks of each other, I've more or less been working, um, in parallel with both companies ever since, um, much, much more on a full-time basis with Harkin industrial, um, but I've been coming in and out of elevated safety projects, I guess, since about, you know, mid, mid spring, 2013, um, is when I started actually going out and performing more, more and more jobs with them. Um, and here we are today. Right on. Now, a lot of those jobs, if I remember, you do a lot of bridge work or you've done a lot of bridge work. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of my uh, most of my level three services and projects have been um, have been in the service sector of infrastructure. So mostly bridges, um, you know, that really that, again, that just really stemmed out of what I was, you know, what interest I wanted to pursue with it um, as a as a training facilitator through elevated safety. We um, we we came in contact with a number of engineers who were looking for rope access services um, to be deployed on some of their projects and, you know, building up a good relationship through the training side and consulting. um, We ended up as the service unit for a number of these, or for a number of these engineering firms and kind of keep it going today with the same group of guys. We've expanded a little bit, but um, as far as the bridge sector goes for us, it really has been, you know, the repetitive group of engineering teams that keeps us busy. So it's, it's, uh, that's where my focus has been on the service side of things. Now I might be wrong in in saying this on the timeline, but was it with the bridges that kind of the first uh, manufacturing product kind of came out and that'd be the roller sling or was there something before that yeah well when we so i'll back it up a little bit um basically when i came on with harkin industrial um i guess i 
you know, looking back, I, I was the first dedicated hire outside of the office. We had a, a manager um, in the office and uh, basically were um, sharing a lot of resources with the, the marine company of Harkin. And uh, we still do today, of course. Um, but really, we were coming into the industry with a new product, a power ascender called the Power Seat. Um, yes, which yes. was a kind of a combination of um, some of the marine technology that Harkin was familiar with from the sailing side of hardware um, mixed with a rope access tool to, to have a capstan driven power descender. And so I kind of came out of the gate uh, more or less launching that product in the Americas for Harkin industrial. And um, by, you know, it just it it just goes to show how things worked out hand in hand so often by by going to some demonstrations and trainings for the power seat um, led directly into the overall scope of a bridge operation, which you know led directly into using more winches specifically on the cable stayed bridges, um, which like you like you alluded to. Uh, led to us thinking about the roller sling, um, you know, to kind of facilitate a, a different methodology there to use powered winches in conjunction with roller slings to be able to um, inspect these things, either ascending or descending the cables. So, yeah, one thing just led into the other. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've been on, I've, we've worked together enough to know that it, you kind of just, when you see something happening on a job site, you kind of, if you, if you really want it to go any faster or, or any more efficient, you sometimes have to go home and draw something up, you know, and luckily well, Harkins. I get yeah, it. But, Sorry. I, I was, you know, with the power seat, I was like, yeah, that was the first thing. Cause that's how we met. I think in 13 is you were showing me the power seat. So how I forgot that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you know, the power seat is one of those things that definitely, you know, it, it, it introduced Harkin to the rope access and rescue markets. It's a, a certainly unique tool, but as, as, as you said, it's, um, it's not right for everything. So it's, it's easy to forget about if it's not within your gear scope all the time. <laughs> Fair enough. Now do you, and I, I kind of could guess the answer to this question, but I noticed in the industry, there's manufacturers that have practitioners for lack of a better word, working hand in hand with R and D and manufacturing. And there's manufacturers that don't. And obviously Harkins brought you on as a practitioner and who's still operating as a rope access technician and a rescuer. Do you think that that has a lot more value or just a little bit more value when it comes to the creation of new equipment or better designed equipment? That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, of, of course it's, of course for me, it's a little bit of bias because um you know, just because of the position that I'm in with Harkin, that you know, Harkin has just made it so easy and collaborative. Um, you know, it's been it's been so easy to 
take a technician's point of view, come back from a job with feedback and say, you know, gosh, if only if only we had something that were to perform this function, we could have we could have done things, um, you know, we could have mitigated another hazard, we could have done it more efficiently or safer, you know. Um, Harkin's always been extremely accepting of new ideas. Now they're 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 happy to um, to tell me no plenty of times because <laughs> otherwise uh, you don't want to get on the inside of my brain. Um, but <laughs> look at this rigging but, made out of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, gossamer. No, um, but I think from what I've noticed, and and, and again, I, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. A lot of us have been in the industry. When I say us, I mean guys that work for manufacturers that also have uh, time spent in the field. Um, you know, I, I do think it obviously lends a level of credibility to uh, talking to someone about the business of rope access that, you know, from a equipment perspective, somebody's going to be asking me about the performance of equipment related to their project. Um, so obviously, yes, I think having hands-on experience um, in applications similar to those that my customers may have, I, I think does give manufacturers a, a good advantage and a good way to keep a pulse on the industry of what's what the trends are. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, company by company, everyone operates very differently, but for the most part, um, you know, the guys that we've kind of evolved with over the last few years, uh, other North American and, and European manufacturers that also have practitioners um, as leaders in their businesses, I think everyone's had, you know, a, a pretty noticeable trend of success there, um, whether it be collaborating with their customers for custom results or um or just really lending the credibility to you know um being able to easily demonstrate that you're willing to to do the same type of work as your customer is um, i think that really helps in just in terms of general relatability and um you know, it's interesting. I think for some brands, there's, you know, it's it's really almost put a face to the brand and, and you know, some of it really just comes down to those relationships. And so um, from my point of view, yes, I think it helps manufacturers for sure. Cool, cool. So the flip question to that, of course, is as, and I say this with all respect, because it's mostly my background. I was a dirtbag mountaineering guy from the army, but as a dirtbag climber turned rope access technician, what was your biggest like, whoa moment or challenge when you had to step into, in air quotes, corporate America and deal with people in suits that have, you know, ROI and KPIs and milestones and MDAs and, you know, quarters and all these sorts of things that drive business? Sure. Yeah, there's, I mean, I'd, I'd say that there was, um, you know, there's always a learning curve with, with any new program, um, you know, transitioning between different aspects of businesses. Um, it was, this was a really interesting transition. Like when I, going back to um, the side of furniture making and millworks that I was doing, it was, 
you know, I'm uh, for a few years leading into um, this career path, uh, you know, I was, I was, I owned my own business, running my own shop, making my own products and selling them, um, distributing, uh, pieces of furniture basically all over the country. And it was, you know, I think that was such a steep learning curve that walking into the corporate offices of Harkin, um, as welcoming as they are, it, I was still just, incredibly intimidated um but really you know i can only speak from my own point of view but for me the a lot of the challenges were alleviated by having such an awesome team that you know any anything that i was you know obviously lacking in business acumen um there was someone else on the team to either coach me through it, guide me through it, or um, to kind of just shift around priorities between the team so that everyone's doing what they're good at. And so I think over time, I've, I've, you know, come around to where I'm comfortable in the business that I'm in. Um, but, I, but yeah, I, I, you bring up a really good point. It is, it was very hard to to transition mindsets of being a rope access technician to, you know, working, um, working in the business to working on the business. And, and that's, it was, it was definitely a different way of thinking. And, and still to this day, it has its challenges of trying to, you know, trying to run and grow a business with together with a team and, and uh, you know, get out there and tie some knots and do some rigging and, and, take a few days at a time to just do rope access work. So um, still trying to balance it, Mark. <laughs> Great on um, the next couple of things I want to chat about the clutch and the ninja. I'm just going to ask sure. the questions. Um, I know some of the answers, but I don't know what's public and what's not. So I'm just going to throw them out okay. there as if um, anybody listening to this. So um, the clutch, I mean, a lot of people are interested in this when we post up stuff on the clutch I think we got 35,000 views on it or shares on our Facebook when it was wow. on the, the Grimp North America. So, I mean, there's a huge interest in this out there. Um, how, how long has this been in process? Just so that the people out there kind of understand, like, you know, I want to make a new product. It doesn't happen overnight. Like, what kind of time frame are you guys looking at when you, when you say, hey, I want to make this product until it hits market? Well, you know, I think it comes with a lot of lessons, <laughs> um, but we've been, we've been involved with this project um, for just over four years overall. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot that goes on, obviously, um, in, in the commercial side of, of what you're trying to offer an industry, um, all, all the different checks and balances to go through there to, you know, to commit to the endeavor of launching a product, um, you know, from investing in machinery to all the tooling to um, obviously the, the design. And then it, it, it there's, yeah, I think what, what's impressed me the most is that ideas are, are ideas are cheap and the execution is, is really where everything comes out. And, um, 
it's a timely process. It's it, there's a lot to balance to bring something that is, you know, seemingly simple. I mean, really, we're talking about a, um, you know, what at first glance just looks like a a break for a rope with a handle and you pulled it and big deal. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, and it's, it kind of, I think some of the best gear in our industries kind of stemmed from that simple way of thinking of maybe that's all it needs to be. Um, but even with things that are seemingly simple, just come, um, you know, a lot in the background, to to make forward steps on it so um so yeah the clutch has been going on for a few years now now um certifications uh what certifications does it have or are you looking to get if you can say for the people that uh want to use this so i'll just put it and sorry if the audio is getting worse i'm watching a rainstorm from my front porch now um <laughs> so it's uh pretty relaxing um i'll just leave it in general terms uh basically the clutch is meant to be a a global product a a globally compliant product um so you will be seeing certifications um meeting all the compliance for uh ansi um ce and nfpa are the are the main three uh families of certifications so there are different categories there within, um, but those those final numbers you'll just or those final uh, certifications will be coming out in all the press release stuff. Right on, and I am not going to try to nail you down for a date, but is there a general season when this may be released to the general public? You know, we're looking to the fall. Um, I, I think that's been the the general what what everyone knows so far. And I think when people who have tracked along with this project along the way, um, have to, um, to take our, our word on time frame as, you know, with a grain of salt, knowing that, um, knowing that it's a, it's a complicated process and things take time. So, uh, we, we are hoping to have this out to everyone, Sometime this fall, I won't say early or late fall, but, um, you know, so, but the, the nice thing, Mark, is that it is down to, you know, I can tell you a season, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, two, two years ago, if you had asked that question, which actually, I think coming up this fall, two years ago, we were, we were viewing this together in Germany and, um, and we really didn't have a good handle on a launch timeline just because we knew what a what an uphill battle we had left to get it to market. No, it's been uh, it's been good. I mean, from my point of view, just running the device. I just chatted with your compatriots over at uh, CMC, and I'll be taking one to China with me at the beginning of September for them to take a look at. And the reviews we get when we have it out there are fairly positive. So, I mean, kudos to you guys for you know, getting that down and creating a a product that's that's new and people didn't really know they needed and now are very interested in getting. Well, it's, it's obviously a, there's obviously a lot of minds working on this project. So, um, 
you know, we we're, we're, we haven't gotten to the point of patting each other on the backs yet until <laughs> until this starts going out to the public. So, um, but yeah, quite quite an extensive team, like you mentioned um, with CMC. I mean, with with their involvement on the partnership and co-developing this has just been, um, you know, it's I think that's been a really good thing to see as well. Just, you know, we're talking about like coordination between teams on nearly opposite sides of the country, um, you know, trying to work towards the same goal, which is, you know, just another part of the process that um, that's just really cool to see come out of it. Right on. Um, One other product to quickly chat about, and I used it uh, a little bit when I did my level threes with Elevated in February. And if you're out here listening and you're looking for a Sprat or, or I ride a class, give Elevated a call. They run a great program. And I kind of was introduced to it uh, around then. And I used it extensively at Grimp Day this year, including what was that, a 70 or 75 meter climb. And <laughs> yeah. once you got the foot motion down, because it is a little different than a, we'll call it a traditional or an older school foot ascender, I had no problems with it at all. So what was the thought process about, you know, changing the way, you know, instead of like call it a single cam into an aluminum groove, making a double cam, was there any thought process around that? Is that something that you'd seen from somewhere else or how did that come about? Yeah, I guess you could kind of say that's a, um, you know, that's a, that's a good example of, of the legacy of the sailing products, the sailing hardware with, within rope handling that, um, over five decades, um, designing and manufacturing. So there's, it's, it's kind of, you know, you're looking back, like, like you mentioned, you know, most every other Ascension device is, is a tooth cam, um, basically forcing a rope into, um, a semicircle of aluminum on the other side, right. You just jam it in. Um, we've, we've always known that the, the teeth on those cams can do damage to ropes, um, especially in a dynamic event. Um, and so actually the, the Ninja came by way of, um, looking more into the Arbor side of the Arborist, I should say, um, technique in climbing and, and actually working with an Arborist, partner in manufacturing the clutch or i'm sorry the uh the ninja um basically modeling it after a cam cleat from a boat um so the cam cleats on rigging systems uh for sailing vessels are are basically they're all over the deck of a boat to quickly um secure a rope in place and then to be able to quickly take it out of that uh you know to perform any movement so we know that that the dual cam style of cleats are are very effective in the gripping side of the equation, but also uh, very friendly to the rope in terms of doing any sheath damage. Um, and so, you know, and and overall, there's a pretty good history of that. If you're just looking into um, how long Harkin's been selling cam cleats and and just the nature of sailing. In general, you know, obviously there's a lot of movements going on, some of which are dynamic. And um, and so there's actually a good, pretty good 
means of of getting an idea of what a rope's going to do in a cam cleat under a relative shock load. Um, and so working along with Cheryl Tree, uh, basically to to develop a new take on Ascension products altogether, uh, but targeting the foot ascender just because it's such an integral part of, um, you know, more of a new school arborist climbing setup. And, and obviously, you know, like you said, you, you used it a ton at Grimp. Um, obviously we're seeing foot ascenders make their way into rope access as a pretty prevalent piece of kit and, and even into technical rope rescue. So, um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a really interesting project to work on and, you know, I got to gotta tip my hat to the engineers involved. Um, it, it's, I'm always impressed, no matter where the background information comes from, you know, in terms of like bringing a sailing idea into uh, more of an industrial rigging product application. It's just, it, it's, again, it seems like it would be an easy step, but there's just so many parameters and and protocol to work within that it's um that it's a challenging process and uh, these guys just do do a really impressive job um to kind of take those you know applicable technologies and and really find the right place for them to fit in in other markets okay so for a product like the ninja that's coming from kind of like a known like you say with the cleat What's a development, like a flash to bang, a development to product release time on something like that? So that one was a little bit, um, you know, a, a little bit less complicated, um, certainly a lot less stringent in terms of um, in terms of a certification track to follow. You know, foot ascenders are not a certified piece of equipment since they are completely additional to any kind of uh uh, safety equipment that you'd be climbing with. So if you're falling on your foot ascender, you're, you're onto your foot ascender, you're having a bad day. Yeah. It means you've stripped everything else out. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, and actually for us, uh, you know, for our partner, that was, that was definitely a, a targeted, um, you know, a targeted point of development just as a, as a, revenue target and a, and a, and a good product that needed, you know, needed a little shakeup in the industry. Uh, basically a lot of, a lot of things started to look the same. Um, and one of the, I guess one of the things to, to bring up with the Ninja um, that is worth pointing out that was a big part of the challenge is you notice with most foot ascenders, there's, there's, there'll be one designated to a left foot and one designated to a right foot in geometry and the way that the straps are set up to go over a boot or shoe or whatever. Um, you know, in, in, in addition to changing the mechanics of how the cams engage the rope, um, the, the Harkin Ninja or the Cheryl jet step, or they're a truly ambidextrous piece of hardware so they it can flip to be used on both feet um you know obviously the the symmetry of the dual cams helped um to make that a possibility but but it did you know it did 
changed the game a little bit, which, uh, which really was our, was our intent. Um, so a product like that, you know, had, it had a lot of, uh, background thought going into it. And, you know, from basically from the first email to the product being launched, uh, was just under two years. So, and, you know, for us, that's, it's still day to day. It still seems like it's taking forever. Um, you know, there's just, you know how that feels, yeah. <laughs> but, but looking back over the amount of work that was actually done, um, I, I, it's kind of amazing that it was, that it was all completed with, you know, I mean, when you break it down, you know, it's all the, it's, 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 the details of like how many folds does it take in your manual for it to fit in the packaging that has the die lines where you want them so that, you know, it's like, there's so many minute details that just, um, that just keep coming up as if, if you don't know the whole process of things. And that's where I was at in, in terms of like not knowing the whole process of things. But, um, but again, you know, you get, you get an engineering team doing one thing, you get a manufacturing engineering team doing another. Um, there's a graphics team, a marketing team, everybody's a technical writing team for all of the manual information. And um, so there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And even just seeing a, again, a seemingly simple product go to market in less than two years. Um, like I said, looking back, it was, it's a, it's an incredible amount of work that goes into something that seems like you should just be able to go and knock it out in a couple of months and move on to the next one. No. And I think it's good for people out there to know that when they come up with these ideas, just the, the length of time it takes. So uh, the other thing that you brought up with the truly ambidextrous is uh, something I've noticed with it, because when I climb and I'll call it Sprat style, I run with my foot ascender on my right. When I climb arb style and anything over about 50 meters now, I'm just old and lazy and I go to uh, foot, knee, chest. I mm -hmm. put my foot ascender on my left foot and I go to my right knee. So it's, um, I used to have to carry two foot ascenders with me for competitions or grimps or doing certain like large bridges or things like that, where now I just carry the one. So kudos for you guys for thinking about that. Well, it's, we had you in mind, Mark. We have <laughs> the guys that carry two-foot ascenders. I never actually met anybody that admits to carrying two-foot ascenders, but you're our guy. You're our target audience. <laughs> there you go. Um, we had mentioned Grimp in there, and I just want to take your thoughts. You've competed at Grimp twice. You've competed at Rope Trip, which is a rope access competition, Grimp mm -hmm. being a rescue competition. How do you feel that those competitions play into the development of personnel, the development of equipment? Are they worthwhile? Are they not worthwhile? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, you know, when you ask me at the end of a day after Grimp, I'd, I'd probably tell you there's no way this is worth it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's but it the Grimp has really opened my eyes to um, just the I. I I don't know how to articulate this correctly, but Grimp has opened my eyes to the eagerness that a lot of the rescue community has to actually perform these types of rescue scenarios. I think we've all been through 
a lot of trainings where like, you know, you like walk through speed or, or, or segments of things is about as best as you can expect in terms of like, for me anyway, in terms of like a, a level of intensity or a level of, of, of excitement um, or like really being able to, and now you guys, uh, when I say you guys, I mean, firefighters, um, you know, yourself and along with the majority of the crew at elevated safety, um, you guys obviously have a different level of, of intensity when it comes to like dealing with a whole team style rescue where, you know, it's, it's quite literally part of your job. Um, but I think for guys like me where, you know, I do a lot of rope access work out with crews and remote sites and, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for the standby rescue portion of that um, where it comes to the, you know, rope related rescue. Um, but beyond training as much as I could for, um, you know, for what may or may not happen, I've never I've never been able to like come up with some big creative scenario and, and have the resources to, you know, uh, caution off the underside of a bridge and actually pull, pull off that kind of rescue scenario while the town you're in is supporting it. And, you know, other people are also trying different ways and means to, to essentially perform the same rescue. So, Yes, I think it's a good thing. Um, it's it certainly, it's certainly within our team. It's certainly up the level of internal training that we've been doing. Um, you know, as a working as a unit. Um, you know, obviously we all work together a lot, but you know, these days that means we're in a lot of meetings together or we're on calls together a lot, but you know, rarely do we have kind of what I'll say are, are kind of the more um, core guys to our business working together in a full uh, team like roping experience. So um, for us, that was a big benefit, um, you know, across the board. I think we we saw benefits to our business, benefits to um, our own, the way that we go about our own trainings now. Um, and just, I mean, when I say business, I don't mean like necessarily like grim driven business. I just mean, we, we work, you know, during all those trainings, I think we were just so in step with the day-to-day business as well. Um, you know, just because we're always, we're always around each other, keeping up with things. So, um, so it's, it was really good for us, uh, you know, and in terms of, technical advancements or or in relating to technique i mean certainly we walked away with a number of of techniques that we hadn't seen um some that we're you know validating trying because we saw what results it produced and in some cases they those results were were better than our own so um you know it's certainly worth looking into any improvement we can make which uh without I don't know, without a platform like Grimp to go and work alongside other teams to see that stuff, I I don't know that it it would be something that's on our radar. That's good to know. I mean, we get a lot of feedback about things like Grimp, and there's a lot of old school 
or older school, if you want to call it mentality out there that, you know, shouldn't have competition in this. And it brings up a lot of risk to people unnecessarily. There's a lot of, um, I don't know if it's a rescue subculture at this point, or if it's maybe a newer school mentality that really embraces these types of competitions. So it's always interesting to hear different people's uh, take on it. Yeah. You know, I, I could definitely respect the, you know, like as Tom would put it, um, uh, you know, we wouldn't ask a bunch of heart surgeons to get together and see who could do the surgery the fastest. Um, <laughs> you know, and so yep. I, I think there, I think there are some elements of the, you know, the inherent elements of it being a labeled as a competition that can come across with negative context as far as like, you know, what's actually motivating you to be there. Is it, you know, does it create rivalries? Does it, you know, is it, is it, is it about bragging rights or is it about learning? And I mean, we found, uh, you know, obviously, um, you invited me to, to work with your team, um, for Grimp Day in Nemur two years ago. And, um, you know, obviously stepping into a new team there, it was just that alone, just that Grimp experience right away was a big learning experience. I mean, we're, we're talking about guys now from different countries <laughs> working on the same team um, in yet a different country, <laughs> you know? And so obviously that's a, that's quite the ex experiment to, to jump into. And, um, you know, I, I think you'd have to be deaf, dumb or blind not to learn something from it. So, um, but within our own team, I'm, you know, we grimp North America, uh, was a great experience for us. Um, and again, I think, it, you know, gear aside, like, yes, it definitely led to some ideas that, you know, may or may not have some viability as a product, but, um, but, you know, without a, without something like Grimp, I, you know, I know there's programs around the country and around different areas of the world that, that can facilitate training in interesting locations, but you know, only Grimp can have you doing confined space work on a battleship in March and, you know, breaching castle walls in um, in Belgium just a couple of months later. I, I, like, I don't think you can replicate these experiences easily, you know, from a training aspect, which I think is is highly valuable for any team to put that kind of pressure on themselves, you know, and, and it's, it's controlled, right? Like it's, it's relatively safe things, you know, yes, you're, there's the inherent risk of any kind of rope rigging or, or rope access or anything, but, um, but it's still relatively controlled, you know, there's safety officers and there's, there's people making sure that, you know, nothing's going to go haywire. Um, so it allows you to kind of push yourself to a limit, knowing that there's still a certain set of controls in place that, um, you know, allow you to comfortably push those limits. So two more quick questions, because we've been uh, we've been at this for about 43 minutes now. And it's not the same oh, that nice. talking to you, but uh, I think your email was, if you get 40 minutes out of me, you, I'd be lucky. So uh, 
rope access and rope rescue. Two separate disciplines that need to learn from each other. One discipline at this point that people need to know rope handling or rope movement techniques, you know, put it into one. Do you see a difference between those two things now? Should there be a difference between those two things at this point? Oh, boy. I think they're always going to be thought of as different things in terms of like big picture. Um, but I, I see, yeah, I, I see where you're going with the question just because there is so much, uh, exchange of techniques now, you know, uh, I, and I, I can't speak to the, um, to that much depth in terms of rope rescue. Um, but, in terms of the techniques that go along with it, you know, it's yes, there there has been a a noticeable mix up of the cultures in the last four or five years with, um, you know, a lot of what I would call rope access techniques infiltrating what were somewhat more traditional um, rope rescue techniques. And then I think bringing in other components like artificial high directionals you know you get into you get into some pretty muddy waters where uh, you know it's it becomes a technical family of rigging where um you know anybody would benefit from knowing as much crossover as possible i think um you know and even with even you know rope access and rescue even even within that you know it's like we're starting to see like we mentioned with the foot ascenders we're we're seeing techniques coming in from other rope crafts like arbor um like sailing like you know i mean i i think really they're just they're becoming more combined but i think big picture wise they'll always be thought of as as two different disciplines just strictly because of their their purpose for deployment. Um, but technique wise and equipment wise, you know, I can say from a manufacturing level, you know, we're, we're looking for everything to be as versatile as possible, you know, so that someone can go between what would be two separate disciplines with a common device that would, you know, perform the job in, in both arenas. So, yeah, I know it's a loaded question, man. I I think uh um you know, and I don't have the rescue chops to to really um you know, fairly defend it on either side of the fence. I mean, most of most of what I have to offer are my rope access convictions. So I'll uh I'll just say there's there's definitely a lot of overlap and um it's kind of exciting to see and it's it'll be more exciting to see where it goes next. Absolutely. And then last but not least, um, plug for Harkin or Elevated. Is there anything coming up that uh, this podcast will probably be airing about a week? So anything coming up past that point that uh, you want to throw out there as a plug or anything like that, feel free. You know, I'd say just keep an eye on on the social media channels and Facebook and Instagram mainly. Um, there's Week to week, there is always something happening with elevated safety, um, training-wise or job-wise. But uh, but for me personally, shout out. I'm just excited. We are coming into the fall, which means that our bridge season is really starting to kick off. And um, 
who get to go practice what we preach and get out on bridges and rig them up for our for our buddies on the engineering teams and I think we all look forward to to autumn for that reason so um yeah just keep it keep an eye out for our activity and hopefully um you know hopefully we'll cross paths with people out there are it's harkin at a plus a this year a plus a a plus a yes actually thank you for that um that is a good plug yes um Harkin will be at A plus A this year. So um, we've got a few new things to show and uh, the clutch will be among, among that family. So it'll be exciting. Hope, hopefully we'll see uh, a bunch of people over in Dusseldorf. Yeah, sounds good. I know I'll see you there. And uh, that's it from my end. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to do this, Sean. Yeah, man. Anytime, Mark. Thanks for, thanks for doing this for the whole community. It's pretty awesome. Well, thanks a lot.